The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Roadwire Prospect Podcast. Clay Link here with lead prospect writer James Anderson. Big thank you to New Day, N-E-U-D-A-E, at New Day Music on Twitter. We appreciate the song Lion Kings that you heard to open the show. And James, we're on to the NL West now. Looking at your latest Farm Futures piece, 117 prospects in the NL West that you need to know. Uh, I mean, 117 prospects, it's a lot to get through and not all these guys are going to be fantasy relevant, but uh, for dynasty players, long-term players, at least knowing about them is good. And you, you touch on, what, 22 Diamondbacks to start the piece. Too many Diamondbacks. Or, yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> that's quite possible. We'll get to only a few of them before moving on. Uh, but we'll start at the top, Dalton Varsho. You have him inside the top 100 overall, and the skill set that you describe possibly at the catcher position is pretty enticing. Yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting. The idea of him sticking at catcher is very exciting just because he 
legitimately has the potential to steal 20 plus bases in a season, which you really can't say about any catchers today. Uh, he's really athletic and they drafted him as a catcher. I think they're going to keep developing as a, him as a catcher for now, but he could be a second baseman. He could be an outfielder. Uh, I've even seen a report where scouts think he could be a center fielder. Like that's, that's the type of athlete this guy is. He's only five foot 10, but he, I mean, he's a, he's big enough. You know, he's not like a slight five foot 10, but that, that is a concern behind the dish. Obviously most, most of the time you see guys over six feet tall catching. Uh, I just, I love the profile, love the plate skills. There's some power there. I think that this guy, you know, if he starts hitting, I think he's going to open there at low a, but if, you know, if he gets to double a and is hitting and stealing bases, I don't really think it matters where he qualifies uh, or where he plays the majority of the time. There's, there's a chance he could qualify at catcher, still play some second base, like a la Austin Barnes. Uh, there's just a lot of different avenues where he becomes, you know, maybe a top 10 catcher. Maybe he's a top five catcher. If he's just catching, you know, 40, 50 games and then playing in the outfield a little bit, playing second base. I mean, can you imagine having a guy that qualifies at catcher who's playing almost every day and, and putting up 2020 seasons? I mean, that's just really exciting. So I mean, that, if that was that kind of player was in the pool this year, that'd be what, like, be probably neck and neck with Gary Sanchez, quite honestly. Yeah, just just having a catcher that's going to give you those counting stats and steal bases. I mean, it, it's it's pretty exciting. Obviously, there's a long way to go there, but, uh, you know, reasonable minds could put John DePlantier, Paven Smith, you know, there, there's there's other guys that are kind of vi- uh, vying with Varsho for that top spot. But for me, just the, the upside for our purposes puts him number one. Yeah, I think generally, you know, 2020 upside, that, that saying is thrown around a bit too much, not by you, but just in the community. But seven homers, seven steals, and nine attempts last year in his first taste of professional action. 311, 368. 534 batting line and just that athleticism you described uh man that's that's a heck of a dynasty league prospect a hell of a chip to have if you do have him second in this system john duplantier i think i speculated that his name may be pronounced duplantier on a past show i think i was overthinking that one but this guy is a, uh, <laughs> we could go with it you know <laughs> i'm pretty sure that was a mistake which is you know there are a lot of them on this show by me but Duplantier, a guy that's getting a lot of buzz, a lot of hype. I know he's on the MLB Pipeline Top 100. You have him 133 overall. You like him a lot, given, you know, in context with the system, but why are you a little bit lower on Duplantier than uh, some other prospect analysts? It's just, it, it's dangerous, I think, to get too in love with guys that are his age and have not, I mean, so he's he's going to be 23 on opening day. He has yet to pitch at double A. If he goes out to double A this year and gets knocked around a little bit, his stock in dynasty leagues is just going to crash because all of a sudden you're dealing with a guy that's old and hasn't proven he can even handle double A. You know, he could go out and, and shove it again and, you know, get to triple A, maybe even get to the big leagues before the end of this season. But he doesn't really have the type of pitch mix that I like to when I'm profiling or when, when I'm projecting a guy to be a number two starter, it's kind of a, a number three ceiling to me, even though the, the numbers last year were, were kind of outlandish. 
And I think people are just getting too carried away by looking at the ERA and all of a sudden, like assuming that this guy's a, a top 15 pitching prospect. I just don't really see that. You have to dig in and figure out what the pitches are. I mean, there's, there's good command and everything, but th- this is, he's also a, a pitching product from Rice where we almost never see those guys hold up into the big leagues. And there were a ton of concerns about his durability, which is why the, Diamondbacks were able to get him I believe in the third round last year or two years ago and uh yeah there's there were a lot of reasons why he was there for the Diamondbacks so just having that great year as a guy that was much older than a lot of the hitters he was facing and the the low minors to me is not enough to push him into the top 100. Interesting interesting I was looking at what kind of the workload he had at Rice didn't seem over the top but I don't know, the, the track record that you mentioned, yeah, it has to be taken into account. I think that's wise. Well, there were there were injury concerns on like a month or two before the draft, if I'm not mistaken. I, I could be wrong about that, but I think there were some concerns about whether or not he, how much he was going to pitch after he got drafted, that type of thing. Not necessarily just the workload at Rice, but like I, I think there were some some minor injury concerns coming mm-hmm. out. Um, just just a lot of stuff that that's worth digging into if you're if you're thinking about trading for Duplantier or, or drafting him this year. Don't just look at the the numbers at low A and high A by a 22 year old polished righty. Next up in this Diamondback system, Pavin Smith, and only four spots separate him from Duplantier on the overall top 400. We've talked on past shows about how the first base crop in the minors really isn't all that impressive. How does Smith stack up with the rest at that position? He's just, he's not the type of guy that I'm going to be targeting. Uh, it's, you know, he's going to eventually start hitting balls over the fence. He didn't hit any last year, which is troubling to me for a college first baseman, a top 10 pick. There's just very, very, very little precedent for a guy like that, not hitting for any power in his, in his uh, pro debut and then going on to be a, a quality big league first baseman. Paven Smith's got really good approach a really good hit tool which should carry him I mean he's going to be putting up nice lines all the way up the ladder maybe at least till he gets to double a but the power is going to have to come at some point for us to start getting excited you know a guy like Jake Bowers with the Rays is kind of Paven Smith but big league ready and you know I've only got him ranked in like the 50s I think so you need you need more than 20 homer pop for fantasy owners to get excited if you're a first baseman and I don't really see him ever getting there. So I'm going to skip over skip over Christian Robinson right now and just go to Anthony Banda because you're not a super you're not super high on him by any means 207. But is he the next man up this season in the event of an injury in that rotation in Arizona and do you think he can hold his own? Yeah, he's probably more useful in single season leagues than dynasty leagues, honestly. I mean, he He's probably ready, so if they were to trade a guy like Patrick Corbin or they were to deal with injuries, Banda would be the guy for sure. Uh, kind of, I kind of see him as a number four, maybe a number five. The secondary pitches would have to take a step forward. I mean, he, he throws hard, especially for a lefty, but uh, you know, the rest of the profile doesn't really scream mid-rotation guy, which is why he's down there. A bunch of just no-name losers on this list. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> They're professional ball players. They're way uh, cooler than me. But Eduardo Diaz, Joan Duran, Marcus Wilson, 
Drew Ellis and Andy Yerzy round out the top 10. I want to jump down to 14. My guy, Christian Welker, not much of a prospect, not even on your top 400 at all, but he's pretty old, 27 years old, but man, does have pretty impressive power. Is this a guy that could get a look if it's not with the Diamondbacks with the major league team this year? Yeah, you have to hope that he winds up in the AL somehow. And and I think we're getting to a point where teams just value uh, guys that can play. If they're, they're going to play guys at DH who can also play other positions, there just aren't many teams that are carrying DH only guys anymore. Uh, so versatility seems to be valuing guys like Walker kind of out of, out of the big leagues. And so that's, that's kind of my concern with him. It, it's not, a question of the bat. I think that if he was going to be playing every day or even just playing, you know, four or five days a week, I think he would definitely provide some value because he's got power. Uh, he's got I mean, some numbers last year, obviously boosted by the PCL, but pretty insane. Well, he's also, you know, he's yeah, 27. <laughs> he's pretty old. Like he, he's doing what a guy like that should do in the minors. Yeah. Like it, it's not, I just think he should, should get a look. I just don't think he's getting a look in the NL. I just yeah. don't I don't think the defense is good enough for like if if this was a guy like say he say he traded places with like Kenny's Vargas like then I would be interested because then all of a sudden it's like you can see how he's getting those at bats at DH. Uh I just don't I don't see how the di- like smart front the problem with all these front offices getting so smart is that they're just not going to put up with terrible defense in the outfield. And, you know, I don't even know if I don't, I don't think he even grades out as a good defender at first base. So that's it's just really all defense related with Walker and, and opportunity related. Yeah, I, I mean, the White Sox need a DH. Who knows? But I'm with you that if he hasn't gotten an extended look, it, you know, it really may not happen. But we'll jump to the Rockies system. No surprise that actually it is kind of a surprise that Ryan McMahon heads this bunch. Brendan Rodgers, number two. Why are you a bit lower on Rodgers before we get to McMahon? Yeah, I think I'm absolutely the low man on Rodgers in the industry. I don't think I've seen anyone rank him as low as I have him ranked, which I'm fine with. Honestly, if there was one guy for me to be out on an island sort of against, I, I'm totally fine with it being Rodgers. I just think that there, there's some concerns in the profile. Like A lot of people just kind of pencil him in as a, a top 10 dynasty league prospect and i don't really get it there are so many good prospects that you could be pumping up into a top 10 and to put a guy like rogers who i i've got some concerns he i don't want to be that a guy has to walk type of analyst because i know that that's kind of getting getting away from nuance and everything like that but I mean, he just does not walk like he and it's it's fine when you're hitting at Lancaster and you don't have to walk because you're just doing so much damage that who cares? Like just swing away. But, you know, when you get to double A and you're just not walking at all, you're also struggling against righties. I mean, he he's he's going to destroy lefties, but I don't I don't love it when a guy is borderline average against right handed hitters or right handed pitchers. I know that you can kind of there's some wiggle room with that batting average because he's going to be playing in cores, but this isn't a guy that I even think has you know, monster raw power. I think it's it's above average to plus raw power, which is which is good for a middle infielder, but it's not it's not like he's going to be providing a, a ton of value if he's only hitting like two sixty, two sixty five. It might be two sixty five with. 
20 to 25 home runs initially, and that's still plenty useful. But, you know, compare him to a guy like Bo Bichette, who I think is going to hit 300 or better in his peak seasons with as much power as Rodgers. And I think both guys are going to move off a shortstop. So you tell me which one you'd rather have. I know that the, I think he just, everyone looks at him, his pedigree, everything we, we knew about him as a, as a prep uh, player. And they just see that he's going to be a middle infielder in Coors Field and just want to say that he's going to be a, a fantasy stud. And I just think that there are enough red flags with him, just with his approach and his lack of patience and his struggles against same handed pitching that I'm, I'm just not sold on him being a top 20 guy. Very interesting. So yeah, second in the system is Rogers, uh, 24th overall in your top 400 and saw that you were doing a prospects mock draft with the, was it the baseball pro guys? And he went really high. I was a little surprised by that, even though I know you're lower on him and I, I think you were too. Well, I mean, he, he went, I remember where he went in RDI. I think he was a top I 10. Really he, I just wrote up something for CBS on that, the Roadwire Dynasty Invitational draft. And I think he went like 10th or 12th or something like that. So it's, it's among prospects. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not like I'm the one that's out way out there. I mean, everyone else I think has him as at least a top 15 fantasy prospect. So it's something I could definitely be wrong about, but I just, I, part of it is that I'm down on Rogers a little bit. Part of it is I just really like this crop of prospects and think there are guys that are more exciting than he is. So getting back to Ryan McMahon quickly, 21st overall, a lot has been said about McMahon and a lot of people expecting big things expect if he doesn't get the first base job out of camp, he could get that pretty early on, but the ability to play second helps as well. I think that's, um, yeah, if there's a pinch, an injury to LeMahieu, that, that could open up a spot for him. A lot of avenues for him to see playing time. But long-term, is this guy like a perennial borderline top 100 guy, or is there more upside than that? <clears throat> well, it's it's pretty complicated because he seemingly should be their everyday first baseman this year, but they keep getting linked to guys like Mark Reynolds and uh, – just guys guys they should not be getting linked to so that they're obviously open to the idea of bringing in a veteran first baseman which is not ideal at all for his 2018 value because that's that's really the only spot where there's a clear path right now obviously if a guy like Arenado or LeMahieu gets hurt then there's other avenues but uh you know I've heard people say that maybe he could be an option if they wanted to trade for for pitching which would be fine, except that then he'd be away from Coors, and then you're looking at a guy that might only hit 250, 260. So I, ideally, he stays with the Rockies. They don't bring in outside help for first base, and they just let him kind of play through. You know, it could be kind of a Josh Bell type of year where he's, you know, he's kind of up and down, and end of the, end of the season, you look at the numbers, and it's all fine. It's all quality, you know deep league starting first baseman production or shallower league corner infield production, but he needs those at bats. And I'm just, I'm a little worried that maybe the Rockies and, and they have Ian Desmond who, and they've got a deep yeah. outfield. I mean, there's, there's ways where he just doesn't get yet bats. I'm hoping for, I, I think that you have to look at this Rockies depth chart and there's going to have to be someone that you decide is getting squeezed out, whether it's him, Rymel Tapia, uh, you know, they, yeah, they, they have so many guys. I mean, 
David Dahl's hopefully healthy this year, so hopefully he gets the at-bats that he he deserves. There's just someone probably gets squeezed. I think Tapia, to me, seems like a guy that they're going to kind of treat as a fourth outfielder this year, and uh, Desmond maybe just plays mostly in the outfield. I think that that would be the best way to go about it, but there there's definitely other ways that it shakes out. So I'm just I'm cautious about pumping him up too much for 2018 just because there's so many different ways that he could lose out on at bats. Another corner infielder, the hot corner, Colton Welker, number third on this list. You have him really high on your overall top 438. Put a Daniel Murphy comp in this article. Is that what it's really about with him is the hit tool? Yeah, I just I think he's going to hit for really high batting averages as a I mean from here on up. I mean, it's it's going to be pretty wild the numbers that he puts up at Lancaster this year and if if his defense was a bit better, he probably wouldn't be there for very long. He might might only be there for like 30 or 40 games. But I I mean, he could hit he could hit like 370 at high A this year. I mean, it it's going to be pretty unfair what he's able to do in that environment. So his stock really is only going to go up, I think, in the short term, just based on people scouting the stats. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that is, he's really confident. I think he believes that he can hit pitching at any level right now. And I don't necessarily think he's all that wrong. He's just got to work on his defense at third base. He's another guy, though, that eventually we're going to have to start talking about, well, where is he going to play, uh, assuming they find a way to keep Arenado long term. But, uh, I think the hit tool for him is not Coors Field dependent. I think he's a guy that's going to hit 300 no matter where he plays. If he gets lucky enough to play in Coors Field, then he might be hitting 330, 340. Uh, the power, it's you know he's got 20 plus homer pop, but I don't. I think it's always going to be about the batting average with him. A couple other Rockies inside your overall top 100: Garrett Hampson and Ryan Velade with Hampson. Oh, you know how I you know I'm a little bit more bearish on these second base prospects than you. <laughs> uh, but this is another guy who's you know he's 23, so he's getting getting pretty close. And you have to with him too ask where the heck is he going to play? But uh, do you think that the offensive skills will kind of eliminate any doubt starting in 2019 about his playing time? Yeah, there's just they have so much uh depth in the in the infield i mean they have a lot of big league outfield depth but just up the pipeline you know i think lemayhu is eventually gonna sign elsewhere and see his fantasy value crater uh trevor story is gonna have another year to really kind of prove that he's their long-term shortstop and if he can do that then all of a sudden you have Brendan Rodgers at second base, most likely. And then you're, yeah, where does Hampson play? I think that's a, a valid question. But if he is able to stay with the Rockies, then you're talking about a guy that's probably going to hit around 300 and steal 25-plus bases. So that's awesome. I mean, that that's the dream is that he stays with the Rockies and is able to get every day at bats somehow at second base. Even if he goes elsewhere, the batting average probably won't be quite that high. Maybe he only hits like 270. But the speed's still there, and he's he's a guy that's a legit 30-plus steal threat in his peak seasons, which is why he's ranked in the top 100. So Velade, another third baseman, what kind of grade would you put on this guy's power? It's plus, for sure. Uh, big power, that was kind of the calling card with him in the draft. Uh, he was a guy that probably should have gone, just from a pure talent standpoint, probably should have gone in the top 
25 or so. He was definitely rumored in that, that range before the draft. And the Rockies have had excellent success picking guys in, in the range that he went, kind of in that 40 to 100 range. That's where they got Charlie Blackman. That's where they got Nolan Arenado. That's where they got Ryan McMahon. That's where they got Colton Welker. And I think Velotti's just the latest in a long line of those guys. So a pretty big drop-off in the system after Velade. And I'm going to skip over Brian Mundell, but Riley, Riley Pint, 239 on your overall top 400. He's uh, been a pretty big faller over the past calendar year or so. What did you see from Pine in 2017 that kind of led you to stray away from him? It's, I mean, he's a – the command and the mechanics are just have such a long way to go for him to be – remotely projectable as a as a quality big league starter then you throw in the Coors Field aspect and it's just like I I mean what everything that could possibly go wrong for this guy is is still in play it's maybe he's a reliever maybe he it just takes four or five years to, to finally figure it out and then he becomes a quality starter but do you want to wait four or five years for a Rockies pitching prospect to figure it out. I mean, it's just, I'm not that interested in that profile. Skipping all the way down to 20th in the system, Tom Murphy. And man, you and I both, along with a lot of other people, liked him as a cheap second catcher last year, but it just didn't work out. And now, do you think even in two catcher dynasty leagues, he's even worth holding on to? Oh, man. Two catcher dynasty leagues, yeah. If, if you're deep, if you're, if it's going deep enough, then he's probably worth hanging on to. But I think it's pretty clear at this point the Rockies just don't care for his skill set at that position. Just so much is being asked to catchers these days defensively, and he's not going to be plus in that department, and he's not going to hit for a high average. It's really just all about the power with him, and that's not going to carry the day in this this day and age behind the plate so he's still technically a prospect he's not in the top 400 just because i i think he is a guy that kind of languishes in the the high minors going forward yeah brought in ionetta and i almost feel like they could bring back luke roy we'll see yeah i don't see tom murphy playing much of a role this season anybody else in that system you want to touch on quickly uh not really um yeah we can move on all right cool I was looking at Forrest Wall, hoping we could avoid avoid that second baseman. But. Yeah, no, we we've already <laughs> touched on enough second baseman for one. Forrest foul. Wall was the guy that I had in like staff too. Don't know what happened to that guy, but I remember cutting him. I think it was last year. I don't think anybody knows. <laughs> <laughs> Dislocated, non throwing shoulder. All right, so injury was in play at least. But we'll move on to the Dodgers. Walker Bueller, not a surprise here. 26th overall, first in the system. Very little, little pro experience. Um, did have a, the Tommy John surgery. But the upside looks pretty crazy because the fastball and curveball, both plus-plus, as you say here. Realistically, this year, what are you expecting in terms of workload? I think he maybe gets like 100 big league innings. Uh, and if I if you draft him in a single-season league and you're hoping for more than that, I think you're – not doing it right uh it's just i think he throws 130 to 140 total innings and i think he opens the year at triple a i mean this was a guy that was rushed to the big leagues in kind of a relief role but it's not like he'd been at triple a for a long time and had really mastered the level i think he's he's definitely still got some work to do there uh so yeah it's 
he's got a ton of upside on a per start basis. This is another guy though, that they could opt to just kind of pull him after the, the second time through the order, unless he's really rolling. So you might get to a hundred innings in the majors. I'd be fine with that. I think it's going to come with pretty decent ratios, especially on the ERA side, uh, strikeout printing probably, but I think 20, 2019 is when you see him really bust out and stay in the rotation all the season long, get get up to 180 innings if you can stay healthy. Yeah, I think with that kind of workload, which, you know, this guy, you say 100 at the major league level, like 120 is like the max, I'd say. I, yeah, I think level. that's fair because he's um, not going to open the year in the big league rotation. Yeah, and so that, that leads you away from him in most formats. Uh, single season leagues but dynasty yeah and i really like him in draft champions too because you just plug him in i know he struggled at first exposure at the big league level out of the bullpen but on a per star basis i think he could be pretty valuable alex verdugo number two in the system 31st on the overall top 400 another guy that seemingly just doesn't have a place to play and the the on-base skills the the batting eye contact are, are good but does he have those these other skills, the ones that are more exciting, the pop, the speed, to be a real fantasy difference maker. You know, he's a pretty decent athlete, but he's not going to run a ton on the bases. I think he's a lot like Jesse Winker to me, except that he's three years younger and he's at the same place developmentally. So that to me, that that gives you some hope that and he's he's strong too. It's not like he's this guy that just has trouble barreling balls. It's it's more kind of a swing path issue. And you know we saw Jesse Winker hit what like two home runs before he got to the majors last year, and then all of a sudden he hit six or seven in yeah. like a month. So anything's really possible. We we've yet to see kind of how the the ball plays in 2018. But if if you gave Alex Verdugo 500 plate appearances in the majors. I think he would hit double-digit home runs. I don't think he would get to 20, but you know what you're doing with him is you're hoping that he hits 300, and you're hoping that because of that he hits high up in that lineup, and then two, three years down the road, he eventually starts getting to 20-plus homers. That's kind of the the perfect way that this could play out for Verdugo. Yeah. It could be an injury, and I also don't think the, the leash on a guy like Jock Peterson is very long. Well, the, they have to. Are they going to? Buy out Matt Kemp. Yeah, I I almost guarantee you he's not going to be on that roster come opening day. So then they go. There's just no point given how bad he is on defense. They go Puig every day in right, Peterson in center, or yeah, Chris Taylor maybe. Yeah, I mean that Peterson would obviously sit against lefties. Uh, you know they they still have guys like Andrew Tolles and Trace Thompson and Enrique Hernandez kind of hanging around. So, but I, I just think that Verdugo's too much of a affordable foundational piece for them. I think eventually he's playing most days at some point in 2018. Yeah, and there's also the possibility that, you know, say Logan Forsyth struggles or gets hurt. Taylor moves to second base, Peterson to center, then I could open up left for Verdugo. So a guy who's kind of a not forgotten guy, but he's just kind of a middling type of prospect at this point. I want to see what he can do with an extended opportunity. Number three, Kybert Ruiz, pretty high riser on your list in, over the past year, 50th overall. What do you like so much about Ruiz? He's just an amazing hitter. You, We talk about catcher, catching prospects and how they develop kind of weird, weirdly compared to, to other positions all the time. And Ruiz is just defying all, all logical 
you know, historical precedence, really. He's a guy that was 18 years old at low A. If he had just been a league average hitter in the Midwest League, I think that that would have been a, a pretty decent accomplishment for a guy like that, especially given his position. But he went out and just absolutely raked, forced a promotion to high A when he was still a teenager. I think he probably goes back to high A as a 19-year-old, but I think he just is going to dominate that level again and get up to double A before his 20th birthday, possibly. I mean, this this guy can just flat-out rake. He's not the best defensive catcher in the system, but given his age and where he's at defensively, I think it's pretty safe to project him getting to the point where even a very defense conscious organization like the Dodgers would be okay with him behind the plate I think he's he's about as good defensively right now as Francisco Mejia is and you know Mejia is a lot of people think is going to contribute this year so uh, I I think he's the best catching prospect in baseball I just think the, the offensive ceiling and floor for him are just so high and I am willing to bet on him sticking at the position so there's there's just a lot to like there. Yeah, that was going to be my next question: is if he was the top catching prospect in baseball over Mejia. It's interesting that you view it that way. I know. I think the well, at least from what I see, the majority consensus is the other way around. But um, I take your word for it on Kyber Ruiz being the, the top catcher in the minors. What about DJ Peters, another guy inside your top eighty overall? Kind of. Uh, I mean, this this Dodgers team just continues to produce really good players in the system peters is 22 big raw power good on base skills but what kind of average is he going to be able to manage uh, in his peak years yeah that's the big question i you know i our buddy dave reagan asked in the comments why i was so high on peters i know that he's on some other lists he's either not in the top 10 or he's borderline in the top 10 and those other lists are definitely non-fantasy lists, so they're going to be favorable to pitchers and guys that are maybe closer to the majors and, and less risky. But I just I think yeah, after that top three, Peters is the guy that if I had to pick one guy to be a, a standout fantasy option, it's him because he's got that that monster raw power. And I think I I, I think I'm alone in being impressed by what he did last year at high A. I mean, he, he completely skipped low A, was was a raw guy when they drafted him, was a, a multi-sport guy, he's just big, long long levers and everything like that. He goes to, to the Cal League, and I know he's struck out over 30% of the time, but it's not like he was striking out 36 37% of the time. He was still the best hitter in the league with that strikeout rate, walked over 10% of the time. You want to see that if you're if you're looking at guys that are striking out too much, and and you're trying to project, you know, where's that strikeout rate going to go? It's really scary when they're only walking like five six percent of the time to go with that strikeout rate. When when they're walking a ton, that at least tells you that they have an idea of of pitch recognition, and you can have some some hope that eventually they they can cut down on the swing and miss. And with Peters, he really only has to get that strikeout rate to like 28% as a pro for him to put up uh, 250, 260 batting average. And the on-base skills are obviously there. He's an athletic guy. I think he fits best in a corner, but he, he can cover a little bit of ground. So I think there's there's a pretty high ceiling there. Obviously, the, the strikeout rate is going to scare off a ton of people, but I, I think that that's there, there gets a point where 
there are no perfect prospects and you have to just kind of start weighing everyone's flaws. And I think that, you know, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I want to see what he does at double a after, you know, that big leap in competition last year. And he was able to handle that. He's just going from high A to double a this year. I think that he could be in for a big season. Yeah. I mean, Aaron judge certainly wasn't a perfect prospect, but you know, if you can walk and pair that with your power, I think teams are smart enough now to realize the value in that and be able to stomach a small average, obviously a lower average, obviously judge hit for a high average last year, but uh, that could fall. And a guy like Todd Frazier, even, I mean, that guy's a, a plus on with the bat, even though he strikes out a ton and hits for low average. So as long as Peters is able to keep a high walk rate, should be a pretty good big leaguer. A lot of talk about Walker Bueller, but do you think Mitchell White, the number five ranked prospect in the system, could make more of an impact at the big league level this year? I don't think so, just because I think he, I think he kind of splits the season between the minors and the majors, whereas I think Bueller spends the majority of his season in the majors. White's a guy where they can kind of let him continue to work on things at AAA indefinitely, whereas Bueller, I think it's just sort of a, they'll probably keep him down for maybe five, six weeks, something like that. So White might not even be up till July. So that that would kind of tip the scales in Bueller's favor. But White is a guy that I think is getting slept on. And I'm in, yeah, like you mentioned, the, the BP prospect mock I'm in, or I was in, I think that might have finished up. I don't even think he got taken. And that was 150 players. People were reaching for pitchers all over the place in that thing. Weird. And to me, White is – he's a number three starter, basically, and he's close to the majors. You didn't take him because you were just basically going off your list. Yeah, I didn't get didn't to Didn't feel him. the need to get pitchers. Yeah, and, you know, he's got a, a plus fastball, plus slider – slash cutter uh decent enough curveball solid command he's got a really good really good size i just think he's a guy that's gonna pitch in a big league rotation for a long time if that's with the dodgers that's gonna come with some wins some great defense uh it's kind of confusing to me why people are just skipping over him and going to either guys that have similar upside and are further away or guys that are just you know, riskier. I mean, it's, it's weird. Yeah. I'm kind of guilty of that myself. And the RDI just, yeah, Mitchell White looked at, looked at his name a few times, read the outlook and I'll take Franchi, you know, I'll, <laughs> well, I'll go like, down and get my yeah. guys. Uh, Franchi's, Franchi's way more fun than, than Mitchell White. I get it. <laughs> Edwin Rios is a guy that I have ended up with like Franchi and a couple, um, NFBC draft champions already with one of my final picks. Liked what he's done, but is this a guy that's it's first base only, needs Bellinger to get hurt, and maybe long-term future lies with another organization? Yeah. The, when guys are big league ready and they're blocked, like firmly blocked, sort of the way that Edwin Rios is, it's it's definitely frustrating and, and tough to know how to value them because if if this guy got traded – you know, any handful, like five or six organizations where if, if he just ended up on them tomorrow, all of a sudden, I think I'd move him up 20, 30 spots in my rankings just because I think he can hit. I think he's going to hit for power. I don't think he necessarily needs a platoon. Uh, 
but it's just hard to see where that comes with the Dodgers. I think if if Cody Bellinger were to get hurt this year, then all of a sudden this is a big time fab target out there because yeah, he he's ready. Like he's just going to be a Triple A, just kind of waiting because there, there's really not much left for him to do there. Yusniel Diaz, I think we've talked about him a fair amount. Another outfielder, though, Jaron Kendall, I think is interesting because he's got a lot of raw, exciting tools. But how long is it going to take a guy like this, who's already 22, uh, to refine those to the point where he's a, a useful big leaguer? Yeah, it's you know he's he's raw by by college standards, but he's I, I think he should have success at low A. I I think that that would be a pretty bad sign if he went to the Midwest League and struggled, just because he's going to be one of the older guys in that league. I think we we won't really find out a ton about him till he gets to high, till he gets to double A, starts dealing with guys that are, are better at locating the fastball and, and spinning a breaking ball, and then we'll start to kind of get a better read on what his actual hit tool is. But yeah, like you said, big speed, uh, legit forty plus steal upside if he were to play every day, and he's got the glove to play every day. So it's just if he hits enough, then there's there's a ton of upside here. Number nine in the system, Christian Santana. 21 years old, likely headed to high Rancho Cucamonga to begin the year. 190 in the overall top 400. Is this guy the eventual successor to Justin Turner at third base? Oh, I mean, it's it's so far away. I I don't want to say that for sure. Uh, He's got the defensive chops to handle third. He's got some work to do in terms of his, his plate skills, but there's pretty exciting power there. Uh, with a team like the Dodgers, I don't. I, th- I get really hesitant to kind of say this is their third baseman of the future, this is their center fielder of the future, that type of thing, just because they have endless resources. They're they have you know great farm system. They have tons of money. They're excellent on the international market. They have just all kinds of ways where they could plug a hole like that. If a guy like Santana isn't quite living up to their standards, but yeah, I mean he's he's one to watch. I think. He's more interesting to me, you know, a guy that I used to be quite a bit higher on, and I I know a lot of people still are pretty high on, is Starling Heredia. Uh, If you watch these two guys hit, it's just, it's no contest to me. I think, I think Santana's bat, you can, you can at least envision it profiling in the big leagues. Heredia just is, is uber, uber aggressive. I think he's just going to get eaten up by uh, high A and double A pitching. Whereas, I mean, Santana might too. I mean, there's definitely some swing and miss there as well, but I think he's got a better shot. Anything else about this system before we move on? Yeah, I just want to throw out the name. Actually, yeah, two guys. Melvin Jimenez is a guy that I think is probably unowned in most leagues. He he was kind of a late breakout guy last year, only got uh, about 30 innings, I want to say, at low A. And he was missing a ton of bats. He's just six feet tall, but has a lively arm, uh, just a, just a guy to keep in mind, even in really deep leagues, I think he might still be out there. And Yadier Alvarez had a question about him as well. Why he's so low. I know that he's, I've seen him show up in some top fifties this off season, definitely some top one hundreds, which I guess I sort of understand from a real life perspective. Cause he has a chance to be a, a lights out reliever, but unless your league, counts holds then I, I would move off of him asap because he's a reliever he's not going to start 
and he's not going to get saves. I mean, if, if he was in a different org, then he'd be a bit more exciting because you could project him as a, as a potential ninth inning guy, but he's not going to get saves over Kenley Jansen. So uh, that's a guy that I think you can still sell fairly high on. You could probably trade Yadier Alvarez for – you could probably trade Alvarez for a guy like Mitchell White in some leagues, and I would, I would jump at the opportunity to do that. So San Diego system, 36 prospects you've pinpointed here. Start at the top with Fernando Tatis Jr., seventh overall on your top 400. Only 19 years old, but there's been some buzz. Even today on Twitter, I saw some speculation that we could see Fernando Tatis Jr. this year. I mean, what's the overall skill set look like? And in his peak, is this guy going to be like a, would you say like a top 50 overall player pretty easily? Yeah, at his at his peak, he's a top 50 player. Uh, I would not. I would not expect him to debut this year. I just think that that would be kind of crazy. Uh, the Padres have no incentive to do that. Does they're it make in, good business sense? No, as we routinely say they're in full on rebuild. You know, like at least in Toronto, you could envision a scenario where the Blue Jays are competitive enough where it, there's a possibility that a guy like Vlad Jr. Bobachet makes it this year because they would help the team win and they could be contending for a wild card spot. But the Padres are definitely not going to be contending for a wild card spot. So that, like, why on earth would they bring him up this summer? And he got to Double A last year. I've I've had people ask me about his skill set and and reference all of his strikeouts and the fact he doesn't walk. And I'm like, what are you seriously valuing what he did at Double A last year? He was just up there to play with their playoff team. Like he he spent the whole year at Low A. Look at those numbers. He was Eighteen. Uh, yeah, he was 18 years old. Like, don't take anything from what he did at Double A last year. God, he's like, he's probably headed to High A. Like, I don't even this, want to talk about what I was doing at 18. You know? <laughs> yeah, you definitely weren't hitting 20 plus homers in the Midwest League. No. <laughs> um, I mean, Tatis is is really exciting. Uh, it's so one of the reasons I hate doing dynasty league rankings, like the the top 300 I did uh, about a month ago is because it's just it's such an impossible task i mean i i like doing the prospect rankings because everyone's sort of on the same playing field uh but i you know i think i had orlando arcia and fernando tatis pretty close and someone hit me up and was like wait so would you someone's offering me uh arcia for tatis would you do that and i was just like oh man like i yeah, that's that's tough, man. I probably wouldn't, I guess. I know I have him close, but it's just it's just the idea of trading someone like Tatis and then watching him blow up and become like a top 20 player, that that would be tough to stomach. So, uh not a guy that you should be looking to deal. Maybe a guy that you could this this is maybe your last chance to acquire him at anything that's short of a, a complete monster haul uh because he could he could very well be Probably not the top prospect in baseball next year because I expect Vlad Jr. to still be eligible, but he could be the number two guy. Yeah, I had an owner and staff keeper one come knocking recently, and a couple years of Jose Ramirez at a cheap price. I was interested, but the second they brought up Tatis, I was just like, all right, peace, deuces, this is not happening. Uh, So tough to part with a guy like that. I mean, I could see it in season, but I'm going to want more than just a guy like Jose Ramirez. As good as Ramirez is for a guy like this, one a little more, to be honest. Um, Luis Urias, I've expressed some skepticism in the past, just given the lack of standout power or speed. But with this kind of approach, this guy's a great bet to be a, a major league regular. 
You have him 25th overall. What do you think is the upside in terms of power at the big league level? I think he could be a 15 to 20 homer guy in his peak years, uh, which, I mean, just, just look at some of the guys that have hit 15 to 20 homers in the past two or three years, like Freddie Galvis. Uh, I mean, three, four years ago, you would have been laughed out of the room if you thought Jose Altuve was going to hit 25 homers in a season. And now 20 seems to be his kind of realistic floor. I mean, it's just, it's so hard to project power on guys like this. All I know is I think he's going to contend for batting titles in his peak. And that that's why I have him ranked so high. Batting average is a category. And even though he's not going to do much with his legs and probably won't do a ton in terms of power early on, I think he's going to hit 320, 325 in his peak season. So that's that's good enough for me. Mackenzie Gore, number three, 45 overall, obviously speaks to how highly you think of him. But I have seen him a bit higher on other lists why are you why do you have some hesitations with gore so just the proximity lack of proximity yeah it's just there's there's so much that can go wrong between now and when he gets to the big leagues and i love him it's just you know what if he needs tommy john in like a year yeah then all of a sudden it's five years maybe until we see him logging 100 plus innings in the big leagues so there's just a lot of risk with anyone that's that young and that far away. I think he's, if we're just ranking like pitching prospects on pure upside, he's easily in the top five. I think he has legitimate SP one upside. It's just, you're gonna have to wait a while for it. Michael Baez, not far off at all from him on the overall top 449th. Is his floor maybe higher than Gore's and what's the ceiling like? Uh, yeah, I hate talk. I, I hate talking about pitcher floors just because it, every pitcher's floor is nothing. <laughs> so, That's but like true. realistic floor though, uh, I don't, I actually don't think his floor is higher than Gore's because I no. think I, I would be shocked if Gore ended up in the bullpen. Whereas Baez wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world if they just said, Hey, just go destroy people for two innings at a time out of the bullpen. I mean, he would be pretty unhittable in that role, but he's, he's honestly, he's on that short list of guys with the most upside in the minors too on the pitching side. He's got SP one upside. It's, it's pretty wild. Just watching him throw his fastball. It's just an absolutely dominant pitch. I think he is going to have a ton of success again at high a or at, at high a, he wasn't there last year, but uh, he could, finish the year at double a and be poised to join that rotation sometime in the first half of 2019 Hudson Potts number five are you expecting the the K's to come down this year I don't know if I'm not sure what the K's are going to do honestly I just I think that the uh he's got he's so far ahead of where his contemporaries are in terms of what he's been able to do production wise and where he's at levels level to level i mean he's going to open the year at high a and finish the year at high a all as a 19 year old with a ton of power uh the fact that he was able to make the adjustments he did last year at low a i mean he was completely overmatched in the first half and then was one of the best hitters in the league in the second half i love it when a guy like that that's that young can make those kind of adjustments because it it tells me that Maybe there's other adjustments he can make. Maybe he can 
stop chasing breaking balls out of the zone as much. Maybe he can be a bit more patient and, and up the walk rate a little bit. He's just so young and so far ahead of where he probably should be that I, I just I'm not going to bet against him at this point. I'm going to skip over Franchi because I feel like I've probably <laughs> talked about him a little too much. Skip over quite a few others as well. This system is just ridiculously stacked. All these guys I'm skipping over are top 200 guys pretty easily. Cal Quantrill, Adrian Morihone. What about Josh Naylor, though? We saw him in the fall league, and you say here you like fat athletes. Uh, he's certainly a, a big boy, but I was impressed by his fluidity on the base paths and his ability to move. You're still not not quite buying in, though. Oh, I mean, he's... He's really fun to watch out there, you know, watching a guy that's that big move, and move that, that fast. It's insane. I mean, crazy. when he was when he was rounding second base, there were all kinds of parts on his body that were moving all over the place. I mean, it was it was the crowd was just going nuts. Yeah, it was. I've never seen a, I've never seen a jersey move that much. Uh, <laughs> yet he the, the problem with Naylor to me is I think he's got the skill to hit for a really high average in the big league someday. And I think he's got the skill to hit 30 plus homers in the big league someday. I just don't think he has any chance of both things happening at the same time. I think he's going to either have to sacrifice contact, uh, sacrifice quality of contact, I guess, to get to the the power that's in there. I mean, he, he's got crazy raw power. That's why the Marlins drafted him back in the day where they did is because he has, uh, you know, 70 raw but he has kind of fallen in love with hitting the ball to all fields, hitting for a high average, and it's kind of come at the expense of his power. So for a guy that, you know, he can't play anywhere other than first base, and even at first base, he's not going to be that good. So it's just going to be a tough profile for him to pull off. Number 17, Chris Paddock. Um, 20 months now removed from Tommy John, or he will going into the season was rising up before the injury do you expect a, a bounce back or do you think there may be more bumps in the road in his first year back i think paddock's a great guy to try to scoop up if you're if you're in like a league where 300 or so prospects are rostered i'd be all over this guy because before that before he needed tommy john surgery this guy's stock was just soaring i mean he he was probably in line to end the year as a top 100 prospect and then the obviously the injury derailed that a little bit but if he comes out and and the stuff is kind of back to where it was I mean this is a he, he's a change-up guy so usually we talk about how the breaking ball doesn't necessarily come back right away but uh it'd be interesting to see how his change-up's looking and how many bats he's missing early on but wouldn't surprise me I think I'm 261 right now wouldn't surprise me if we get to June, July, and he's inside the top 200. Yeah. Do you know if he was picked up in RDI? I don't, I don't, I don't think he was. And, you know, there's that rule in RDI where you have to have 10 minor league spots filled at all time. And I feel like, you know, if, when McMahon gets called up or Andahar, one of these guys, I want to be hoping Paddock's still, still out there so I can plug him in for one of those guys. Anybody else in the system? I mean... Definitely check out James's full piece, rotowire.com, slash free for a free 10-day trial. Uh, but 36, we can't get to all these. Anybody else you want to mention? Yeah, I'll go back up to number six and number seven on the list. Uh, 
Jason Rosario, Tirso Ornelas, two guys that are going to probably open the year at low A as 18-year-olds. And Rosario probably more so than Ornelas, but both of these guys have a chance to finish the year as top 30 prospects for Dynasty Leagues. Both have, uh, you know, Rosario has a lot more real-life upside because Ornelas is kind of more of a, and even though he's been playing a little bit of center field, he's more of a corner guy. But Rosario's got the the stuff that fantasy owners are all about. He's got power. He's got speed. He's going to hit for a pretty high average, I think. This is a guy that if you're looking to try to get that next wave of the young teenagers that populate the top 10, the top 15 of prospect rankings, Rosario's a guy to keep an eye on. Arnellis is sort of a different skill set. It's it's just a ton of on base, a ton of power, but he, he's got the skills to kind of get there as well. He's sort of where... Uh, he reminds me a little bit of Highland Ortiz with the Phillies, just in terms of the the overall skill set and what it could be in a while. So those are two names to definitely track early in the season if you're in a shallower league and scoop them up. Far fewer prospects we need to know in this giant system, only 12 of them. Helio Ramos, we talked about him a lot lately, so I'm going to skip him. Chris Shaw, inside your top 100 overall. Power guy, and that's something that's desperately missing at the big league level right now. Also 24 years old, so is this somebody that could make an impact this year? Yeah, he's already reached AAA. He, his numbers fell off a little bit after breaking at AA, but he'll go back to AAA. I think he'll have success in the PCL. And, yeah, I, would, I think I would predict that he gets called up before the All-Star break, so wouldn't be Brandon surprised. Belt. Yeesh. Yeah, I mean, Brandon Belt, I feel so bad for the guy, but, I mean, yeah. he just cannot stay on the field. And Shaw can play left, not not super well, but you know they're. I know they've made some additions, but they're still not very deep in the outfield. And like you said, power is a thing that they're sorely missing. Even after their additions, it's not like Evan Longoria is going to go out there and hit thirty plus in AT and T. At least I wouldn't expect him to. So Shaw could be up in May or June, and he could hit fifteen to twenty homers even in a shortened season. Interesting. Another guy who could make an impact this year, and in fact, perhaps could be maybe an opening day guy, even uh, if not then, then a little bit later, regular as part of a platoon in center field, Stephen Duggar. Good approach, but what's the overall package look like in terms of skill set? He's got borderline plus speed. He had a ton of success stealing bases in the Arizona Fall League, which was really good to see. Uh, probably if he opens the year in the on the big league roster, it's kind of more of an out of necessity type of thing than I mean, he's not quite ready, uh, doesn't have a ton of playing time in the upper levels of the minors. But Billy, Billy's still in the market, <laughs> just say that, yeah. Billy, if the Giants get Billy, that's bad for <laughs> Stephen Duggar's value this year. Uh, but he, you know, he's got typical leadoff hitter qualities, he gets on base, he's gonna hit for relatively high average at least you would you would hope he would he can handle center field uh, i saw buster only tweet that the giants are going to have a platoon of him and austin jackson now i don't know if he was tweeting that based on actual reporting or just an assumption but yeah jackson mashes lefties is probably going to struggle against righties so that would make some sense so yeah in in a uh, single season leagues duggar and shaw are, are definitely in play Alexander Canario, number four. Jacob Gonzalez, five. Tyler Beatty at six. And this is a guy that keeps getting brought up here and there. But you're pretty much done with this guy. 
I'm taking it, given the fact that he's off your top 400. He's off my top 400. He just, I don't know. I mean, he, what, what about this guy should we like from a fantasy perspective? It's just, I don't really get it. Uh, last year, it was, everything was just there for him to take. Like he was, all he had to do is just pitch decently at AAA and he would have been up in the big league rotation, might've gotten double digit starts for them, but he just was not pitching very well. You know, he's got a mid nineties fastball, but, uh, he kind of has too many toys and none of them are that good. Like, you know, we talk about Brent Honeywell having a lot of pitches, but at least Honeywell's pitches are all pretty decent. Like bd has got a lot of pitches and his fastball is probably his best one. It's like a mid nineties, probably not even a plus pitch for a righty. Uh, I just, I don't know. He's, he's going to be a back end guy slash middle reliever. And that's why he's not ranked. The one guy, you know, I was thinking about this this morning, actually. I might have, even though Alexander Canario's never played stateside, uh, the guy I have ranked at four, I might have. I might even be low on him at, at 188 overall because he's got pretty crazy tools, and if he, if he just hits a, like the way that I think he's capable of, even in the Arizona Rookie League, uh this is, I mean, I threw out Jason Rosario as a guy that could be a top 10, top 15 prospect. Canario is a guy that could be a top 10, top 15 prospect who's probably out there in a lot of leagues, whereas Rosario is probably owned in those types of formats. So that's definitely a guy to check if he's available before your first year player drafts. At least they have some plus names a little bit lower in the system. Uh, Sandro Fabian, Diego Rinconis. At least they got that going. James, great stuff as always. We appreciate the insight. Have you started your, your top 20 collabs yet? Uh, I've been just no. throwing some names in a sheet. I'm looking forward songs. to that process because it means I'm just going to be able to listen to a ton of sweet songs and, and try to narrow it down. I, that's going to be – I mean, you and I are kind of perfectionists when it comes to this type of thing. Like, I, I'm not going to just half-ass it. I'm going to really put the time in and, oh, yeah. and make sure that list is, is good to go, and it's, it's going to be pretty exciting. We're going to have a lot to choose from. Yeah. Oof. I was going to offer a spoiler, but I can't do it yet. <laughs> we'll get to that closer to the start of the season. I need We both need some time to dig in, compile that list. But we'll be back with you next week. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.